0: I want to just uh, briefly catch up where we are for people maybe who have come and this is their first time hearing this. We are talking about discipling as Jesus discipled. We've, we've sort of looked in the first two series before this at you know, what it means to be a kingdom person, how, how you live, and then you know little aspects of Jesus. And now we are looking at Jesus himself and how he discipled his disciples. And in turn, I think how we can take what he's done and duplicate that ourselves. The first time we looked at it, we looked at Matthew 4.19, right? Okay, so help me out with this. Come, and I will make you fishers of men. And the first part of that is, come, follow me. And that is the relational part, right? So come and have a relationship with me, and I will make you. There's the intentional part. I'm going to make you this. It's an intentional thing that Jesus does with his disciples. He takes them, he teaches them. He helps them learn. He tests them. He he stretches them. Fishers of men is the missional part. That's where you, this is what I'm teaching you to do. This is where you're going to go eventually and do and what you'll carry on and people will carry on through you. And we've taken a break at those three, at the intentional part because we're looking at how does Jesus intentionally relate these things to his disciples? How does he take them and, and form a relationship with them and then say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to reveal? me because Jesus revealed himself and then how do I reveal Jesus in my life and as some of you have been following me on on the Facebook or not following me but our, our Facebook page and thankful for those people who are doing that and did for the for email people was that good this 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 week okay good you got the emails okay good and I even got some of them back from people that, that have been filling them out and sharing their thoughts with me that was kind of cool to, to hear what you guys were thinking. It's not required, of course, but it was kind of neat to see this is what I'm thinking about this question. And even, you know, going outside of the questions that I had and saying this. And, you know, it, it's kind of cool to have a dialogue about what are you seeing when Jesus is saying, I'm going to reveal myself this way. And this week is going to be speaking. Matthew, or not Matthew, I can't. Matthew, Luke, whatever. It's, we just can't get to the book of John for some reason. John chapter 17, verse 8, right? I I have given them your words. You gave me the words. I've given them to you. They've accepted these words. And and Jesus has spoken to them. He speaks into their lives. Now, one of the interesting things, again, for me, as someone who looks at this, not a Greek scholar by any way, shape, or form, but the the words that Jesus uses and, and the words that are used in John, especially about Jesus, remember the very beginning of John, in the beginning was the. Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, Logos, and in John especially, you look at Logos, and who do you see? Jesus. Jesus himself. Now, that's Word, but that's also, in the beginning, was the Word. This is Jesus, and later on in John one fourteen, he talks about Jesus coming down and tabernacling among them. Dwelling among them, living among them. That, that word, that, that message of Jesus, of God, literally became flesh and, and dwelt, relationship, intentional, all of this stuff with the people. Now, the word he uses in John 17, 8 is not logos. They didn't accept the logos, they accepted rima. That's the word you see. The top one is logos, bottom one is rima. And that's a word that means word uttered by a living voice. But it's it's interesting that that the word delivered the word to them. And the rima, the word that Jesus delivered, that the word delivered, is supported by the very word himself. You can't have the rima without the logos. You can't have this spoken word that Jesus gave them without the word himself, the one who is literally the message to everyone. To the whole world this is that that logos revealing that rima to the disciples and then the disciples taking that that indwelling word here and then talking to other people here jesus is like john 1 says jesus is the exegesis of god that's literally what he is the exegesis of course being that That critical explanation of interpretation of a text, bringing out the text, you know what the original author meant in the text. The exegesis of God is Jesus Himself, because like I think we mentioned it last week, and you guys have heard it before, even in class, where we say, "What did Jesus tell the disciples? If you've seen me, you've seen who? The The Father. I'm the critical explanation of the Father. I'm I'm what the original author meant." He's he's coming down to show them in real time and in flesh and blood. This is what God wants. This is how God wants you to live. This is this is it. This is this is it. The Logos has come down, the word himself has come down and has given you logos and rima and here you go. This is this is me speaking all of this to you. And Jesus himself knew the word, didn't he? He knew the word. In fact, I think Jesus knew the Old Testament pretty well in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. He quotes the Old Testament in the New Testament. He quotes the Old Testament 80 different times from 27 different books, 24 different or 27 different chapters of 24 different books. He is he is quoting the Old Testament all over the place. He knows the Old Testament. And some of you might say, duh, he yeah, (laughs) he is the word. So, duh. But I think there was some work on his part, too, to know the word. If Jesus was was man, the way he says it, and, and he could be tempted in all things, there, there's there's a learning process even for Jesus. This part of this learning process for him is is exploring the word that they had there, learning it, and then showing them in real time this is what it looks like. And not only this, but look, this is where God wants to take you with this word, not only here, but even beyond this. The scriptures I have up there are because Jesus knows the word, because he knew it so well. Matthew twenty one sixteen forty two 42, and twenty two thirty one. he says some similar things here. I put one of the phrases up here. Have you never read? When, he, when he's confronted by some opposition in these passages here, in one form or another, he says a similar thing. Have you never read? You know, they should have read. They should know, especially the people that he's confronting here. They should be right right in step with him. I, uh, yeah, I get that. I, I've read that. But he, he asks them that question, have you never read? Don't you understand? And I thought, you know, that's a good question for them. But I wonder every once in a while if Jesus is looking down at me and saying, have you never read? You know, asking us that same question. Haven't you read what I've already written down? Haven't you read? Don't you understand what you're doing here? This challenge that he throws out here to these people, I think, is a good challenge. And he's saying, hey, it's been written down. God is not leaving you without a witness here. God is not going to just say, hey, you guys figure it out. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to show you where, where you should have been. Look at John 5, 38 through 40. As Jesus is confronting again says, Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They're so in love with these scriptures here. They're so in love with this stuff that they absolutely, actually refuse to see the one that is standing literally in front of them. I might be a little fuzzy, but that guy is saying, I can't see anything. He's too far away. But where is Jesus standing? Literally right in front of him. But because of his vantage and his viewpoint, he can't see. I mean, it's like these guys he's talking to, Jesus is talking to in John 5. You search these scriptures because you think that in these you have eternal life, but you're missing real eternal life standing right in front of you. You're missing the man, Jesus Christ, right in front of you. What was Jesus' mission? Somebody tell me, what, what do you think Jesus' mission was? Seek and, save the lost. and you nailed that right on the head the first try there. Both of you guys. Okay. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Go over there. To seek and save that which is lost. That which was lost. That's what he says there. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is where he's going through Jericho. Jericho. And that little guy runs on up ahead and climbs up the sycamore tree. Yeah. yeah, Zacchaeus, the guy everybody loved to hate. And Jesus in verse 9 says, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And then he says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That's why I'm coming. And yet I'm standing right in front of him like this little picture shows. And they don't see me. He's tabernacling among us. He's literally dwelling among us. And like, like Bill said this morning, or maybe I was thinking it as Bill was talking about Jesus this morning, the, the amazingness of, of the fact that God is willing to come down and dwell among us. The, the beauty and, and the just the, that, that's, that's, that strikes awe in me. That he's willing to come down and dwell among us, live and experience what we experience, go through what we go through, to explain God to us, to explain him to us. To say, I'm right here in front of you. Why don't you see me? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But the question is, like this guy here, will we see him? Jesus' answer is going to be the same every time. You want to be saved? I can do that for you. But the question is, will we do that? Will we see him? Will we obey him? Will we listen to him? I think that's been the same question over the ages. It was a question for them in John 5. It's the question for us today. Will you have Jesus? He's standing right there. He's ready and waiting. But will you see him? Will you open up your eyes and hear him? Speaking of the questions that Jesus asks them, I, was, I found it interesting, and these are some of the numbers that I've come up with so far, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm done yet, because reading different things, I think, if if it's right, I think he asks 307 questions in total, which seems, at least the ones we have recorded, right, and like John says, there was a lot that wasn't recorded, so who knows how many questions he, he really asked, but at least What I can see, 307 questions asked, and he was only asked about 113 questions. Man, maybe we're not asking the right questions. And as far as I can tell, he only refuses to answer three, two, two questions, I believe. Two questions he, he just doesn't answer. But Jesus is ready and willing to answer our questions. He's ready and willing to even ask questions, and the question for us is, are we ready and willing to hear him? Same thing for them back then is the same thing for us today. I want to explore one of those questions that's going to lead me to Jesus' intentional uh, way of of speaking to the disciples here, Matthew 16, 13 through 17. If you want to follow along up here or in your Bibles, it's where Peter is, is being challenged and actually the disciples are being challenged. Peter is one of the guys who pipes up and answers. It says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Mm -hmm. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, hey, here's that question, but who do you say that I am? So he, he starts off with this general question, let me ask you who everybody else thinks I am. And now let me drill down a little closer to, to home. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Who am I? It's, it's a, a many-layered question, I think. And when, when I'm thinking about that question... When the disciples answer this, not only do you have to answer it for yourself, but then what do you do? If if you are like Jonah, or sorry, I remember Jonah here. If you are like him and you say, "Yeah, you're you're the Son of the Living God, you are Jesus Christ," then what do you get to do? You get to turn around and you get to ask somebody else that question: Who is Jesus? And then you get to hear their answer. It's it's this multi-layered thing that Jesus hasn't 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 posed a question here that dies with him. Back then, it dies when he comes again. He's saying, who am I? A question for the ages. And today, you might not get these answers from others. You might get, well, he was a good guy. He was a, he was a prophet. He was this or that. But who do you say that I am? That's still that personal question that everybody, at one point or another in their life, is going to have to answer because at, at one point in everybody's life every knee is going to bow right every tongue's going to confess and we're going to answer this question one way or another so let's drill down on how Jesus spoke the words to his disciples and then look at how we in turn to people around us Hebrews chapter one I'm going to go there to look at how Jesus spoke Hebrews chapter one these are the ones well, this is one of the ones I think we we went through briefly Wednesday night too, talking about prophets and and how God spoke to people long ago. Hebrews verses one and two again I have these up here if you need to need to look at that Hebrews one and two and pay attention to the way he says he speaks God after he spoke long ago to the prophets to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us. In son. I'm eliminating the his because it's not there in Greek. He says, in son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom also he made the world. What I find interesting about that is is the very first verse he's saying, God spoke to you a long time ago. And this is how he did it. He spoke to you through these people. But in verse 2 he's saying, Now God is speaking to you not just through, but in Jesus It denotes some some weight here that that is not given to the people in the first verse. There is some weight in the second verse that is God-given because Jesus himself is God. In, Son. This is God speaking to us in, Son. Not only does he deliver the message, but what is he? He is the message. Yeah, he is the message, period. Period. So, that, I mean, that, that that throws a lot of weight there in verse 2 on Jesus himself, which is what this chapter is dealing with, the superiority of Jesus himself. And in that that section there, I think it tells us how Jesus speaks, not only to the people of his time, but to us today, and then how we turn around and speak to other people. There's four things in here that I want you to pay attention to about how Jesus speaks. The first thing is number one here, God, he's God sent. He says this is coming from God, right? God spoke this way, but now God is speaking in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, and he's God sent himself. You look at John chapter 7, verses 16 through 18. He says, so Jesus answered and said, my teaching is not mine, but he who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will... He will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself speaks, seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. He is God sent. Then later on in that same chapter, verses 25 through 30, he says, So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly. And they are not saying or saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple teaching and saying, you both know me and know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Man, Jesus is, is laying the smack down here. He say, you, you guys know me. You should know me. You should know where I'm from. But you don't know me because you don't know the Father. But he's God-sent, isn't he? Jesus was God-sent, and that's what Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 say. He's sent from God. He's saying here in John chapter 7, I've been sent from God. I'm carrying this message from God. You should know me. And when you look at God sent Jesus, what does he turn around in the end of Matthew chapter 28 and do to his disciples? He says, go. I'm sending you now. And what does that mean for you and I? Go. I'm sending you now. So not only is Jesus God sent, but who are we? We are God sent. When it comes to speaking, Jesus says, I am speaking because I've been sent from God to speak to you. I'm here to tell you who I am. I'm here to tell you what God desires. I'm here to die and, and seek and save the lost, die for your sins. Now what do we turn around and say? Let me tell you about Jesus who came to do this, 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 who came to seek and save the lost. Not only was Jesus God sent, but I think in our own way, because of Jesus' commands, we are God sent. Number two, he's God informed there. John chapter 8 in the book of John again he says I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you but he who sent me is true the things which I heard from him these things I speak to the world they did not realize that there had been they, they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the father so Jesus said when you lift up the son of man then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own initiative but I speak these things as the father taught me he is God informed He doesn't do anything except what is in line with the Father's will, period. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, I don't want to do this, but I will do your will. He's God-informed. What does that make you and I? Well, he saves us because he's God-informed. But I mean, in terms of us speaking, he's speaking because he has been God-informed. He's giving them these words. He's giving his disciples these words because I have been told from the Father what to say. I am speaking. And then what do we turn around and do? We speak what he speaks. We don't speak what he doesn't speak. We don't make it up ourselves. We're God-informed because God has chosen to give us this revelation of him. Jesus came down and dwelt among men and gave his revelation to the disciples. And the disciples turn around and they give this to us. And what do we do with that? We're God-sent. We take what God informs us and we go tell it's the exact same message here. Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching anybody who will listen, that he's God-sent, God-informed, and now he's saying, I'm also God-empowered. Luke chapter 11, 14 through 20. He's casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he casts out demon by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others to test him were demanding a sign from heaven. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's not good enough for us. Let's do something else. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against, against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> so they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Boy, how much more do you need to see? What did God do or what did Jesus do his whole time? He's, he's performing miracles. He's feeding people. He's doing all these things saying, look, and I'm not doing these just to, just to wow the crowds. I'm not doing these just, just to make you happy. I'm doing these to show you that the kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm doing these to show you that I'm God-empowered doing these to show you that I have the power on earth to forgive sins. That's one of the most powerful ones for me. When I when I saw that, when I finally saw that, I mean, I saw that for years, but I never really, to my shame, paid attention to part of it. Because it, this argument had been going around for a long time and, and people had been getting upset with each other about, well, the, the thief on the cross, right? He must have been baptized because he's, Jesus says... I'll see you today in paradise right so he must have been baptized and, and, and that's something that, that they that they drilled home because in Matthew chapter 3 what does it say everybody's coming out to be baptized right so he must have been immersed but the text never says he's immersed it doesn't say it and, and it's, it's, it's it's a logical fallacy to make an argument from silence because it just doesn't say it one way or the other I don't know but when Jesus in Luke 5 says so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins take up your pallet and walk and I finally paid attention to that and I said wow Jesus himself has the power to forgive sins on this guy right here and I thought you know forget the thief on the cross or who cares if Jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise then he knows something I don't there's something there that I'm not getting but I'm going to leave that up to him because he has the power on earth to forgive sins. That's a God-empowered Jesus. That's a Jesus who has power. Now, how are we empowered? When we take our message, which is Jesus' message, out, what does that look like for us? Because I am not taking, telling anybody to take up their pallet and walk. That's going to be very embarrassing for me. And I don't have the power on earth to forgive sins. So what am I doing? Where's my power coming from? Tell me, where's, where's our power coming from? The Word, the Spirit. I mean, what about the Spirit that is dwelling in us? The, the, the Spirit that renews us day by day. That old man outside is what? Dying? But the inner man is being renewed day by day. God is empowering us through the Spirit. He empowers us through the Word. And we take that out to the world. And we say, look, I can't forgive sins, but I want to show you this Jesus Christ who can forgive sins. I was the guy that needed to take up his pallet and walk. You're the guy or woman that needs to take up their pallet and walk. I can't do it, but Jesus can. I've been empowered to show you the real power. That's how Jesus communicated. That's how he spoke to the people there. And I think that's how he instilled speaking in his disciples and in you and me. And the fourth one is that he's God offered. He is God offered. And for this text, it's in John 3.16... Of course, you all know John 3.16, right? Yeah. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Man. But follow that up with this, John 10, 17 through 18. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me. This is Jesus' choice. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Man, He is God-offered, but you look at this text in John 10, too, and you know, Jesus says, I'm choosing to do this. I choose to do this. Love is driving me to do this. Love for those that Luke 19 says, I've came to seek and save that which was lost. I love you so much that I'll go to the cross for you. I will offer myself for you. This is the plan that God planned before the foundation of the world, and Jesus says, I'm ready and willing to do it because I love them. Now, in that same way, you and I, we're not going to a cross for anybody, but how are we God-offered? How do we offer ourselves? If we can be sent, if we can be empowered, if we can do all the other things here, then how are we offering ourselves who do you offer yourselves to on a daily basis God, Jesus what cross do you pick up every day my cross I pick up my cross daily and I am supposed to die daily to the world, I'm supposed to give my life to him every single day I'm going to offer myself to him every single day I think that's being God offered in this case for me and for the disciples, I think that's also the same thing. They offered themselves for his mission. They offered him, themselves for for God's purpose. And they passed that down to us. So for God sent, we're God informed, or God empowered, and we're God offered. I think, I think that, that kind of encapsulates how Jesus is coming to speak to people. I have been sent, I have been informed. I've been empowered, and I'm offering myself for you. And not only that, but then I'm going to ask you to turn around and do the exact same thing for everybody else. And that you are going to do what I came to do as well, and preach the message of Jesus Christ. And that's where we're ending here, with speaking life, speaking words of life, Jesus. When we speak Jesus, what do we speak? We speak life. We speak freedom, we speak joy, we speak a whole bunch of stuff. When we tell people about Jesus, mercy, grace, all of those things, it is so rich with with what we're saying when you say, let me tell you about Jesus. Grace, mercy, joy, freedom, all of these things are encapsulated in that man, Jesus Christ. He came to speak those same things to his disciples, and you and I because we're being intentionally formed as disciples of Christ, turn around and speak those things to other people. When we say, have you heard about Jesus Christ? Let me tell you about Jesus. You're telling them, let me tell you about life. Let me tell you about real life. Let me tell you about grace. Let me tell you about mercy. Let me tell you about how justice has been served, and and you are the beneficiary of that. Let me tell you about eternal life with him. We speak of Jesus, we're speaking of all of those things. We speak of Him dying for our sins. We speak of us being united with Him in baptism and risen to walk in that new life. That's what we speak when we speak Jesus. So I'm going to give you a couple things to concentrate on this week. And maybe some of these don't uh, you know, speak right to you. Maybe you're not in a position to try these out. But if you're cursed this week, whether it's you know a real curse word or somebody's just talking behind your back, what do you get to speak to them? Life. Jesus. Don't turn around and curse back. But instead, what would Jesus say? How would Jesus handle that situation? When I am being cursed, I need to speak Jesus. When you're being asked about your quote-unquote church, I would encourage you not to tell them, I go to Orchard Street. Tell them about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Tell them about Jesus instead. Of course, we meet here. But let me tell you about Jesus. Because he's the important one here. This is a great place and we need to come here. But Jesus is the big thing. Jesus is the big picture. Not church. Let me tell you about him who's going to save you first. That got kind of quiet. Maybe you don't agree with me there. Let him speak his word to you and through you. I think uh, if we pay attention to His Word, if we're soaking up His Word, then when we're confronted by people that are are maybe cursing us or or talking bad about us, then what's going to come out of us? It's going to come His Word, because I'm soaking it up, because I'm letting Him live in me, because I'm trying to be the person that He knows I can be. When I divorce myself from His Word, when I don't spend time with Him, when I don't feel like I'm giving Him enough time to actually be empowered and and offer myself to him then i'm not going to i'm not going to respond the same way that i would when i'm actually being informed and being fed by jesus through his word so this week i want you to do that i want you to say let's just take a break and talk about jesus let's talk about him the one who came the one who was empowered the one who offered himself and the one who turns around and says now you go do the same that's that Jesus Christ that I want to tell other people about. You try telling them about that this week. And I will be sending out stuff again this week, and i am be encouraged to hear what you have to think about speaking life in your situations. If you don't like the questions I give you, write, write a different question back. Let, help, me, uh, help me form those questions. Maybe I'll turn around and use your question because I'm a lazy guy. I'll turn around and use your question the next day. That way I don't have to think up one of my own or, or copy it from somebody else. It's a lot of work trying to find a good question to copy, so just send it to me. But I encourage you this week to, to think about speaking Jesus. As He spoke, we speak. As He was empowered, we are empowered. As He offered, we offer. As He was informed, we are informed. If we separate ourselves separate ourselves from Him, we are going to be poor examples of Jesus Christ. Be a good example of Him this week and speak life to everybody you meet.